But you can take out your Bibles and we'll look once again for the final time in this series at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We began in 1 Corinthians 15 as an introduction to what we believe as a church in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. And in that we saw that Paul wants to communicate first and foremost the things that is of the utmost importance, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, from there we've been looking at the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed as the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. And uh, we've been looking at the things that really set us apart from the world. And, And the thing that sets us apart is not what we do first and foremost, but it's what we believe as Christians. And that's why every week when you come to church we do recite these things. Uh, Because we need to be reminded of them, that these are the things that are of utmost importance to us. Who is God? What has He done for us? How has He loved us? And today we're going to look at this very important last thing, that is the death of everyone, our resurrection for those who are in Christ, and eternal life. Now, the bodily resurrection, or our bodily resurrection, is a vital doctrine to Christianity. Uh, and it's one of the things that really does set us apart from the rest of uh, the rest of the world in terms of what they believe. Many people in the ancient world, in the world in which Paul was writing, uh, they viewed all of the spiritual world as good and all of the physical world as bad. And so anything involving the spirit, uh, activities of the mind, uh, those were good things. Things that involved the body, uh, appetites and desires, those were by, by default bad things. And Paul writes to them and he says, no, you've got it wrong. But it's not that you've got it wrong because the things of the spirit are bad and the things of the body are good because that's what the modern world tends to say. We live in a world that eschews things of the spiritual nature. We don't like the things of the spiritual nature. Instead, we say the things of the body are by necessary or necessarily good and spiritual things are bad. That's the world we live in. Paul says that no, both The spirit is good and the physical body is good as well. That is why as Christians we believe that we will be raised in a physical body just as Christ was raised in our physical body. And we believe that our physical bodies, although marred by sin and the effects of sin in this world, are good. So that the desires of the body are not in and of themselves bad And the things of the body are not in and of themselves bad, but this body is good. And so Paul looks into the ancient world and says and corrects that thinking. Paul looks into our world as well and corrects our wrong thinking. And today we're going to see this uh, in in actually four ways. Um, And we're going to look at, uh, first of all, our spiritual compensation. Secondly, we're going to see our definite transformation. Thirdly, we're going to see our hopeful realization. And fourthly, our present regulations. Um, Let me read this to you. We're going to start at verse 50 of 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15.50. And we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Hear God's good and kind word to you this morning. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. 
For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding His Word. Pray with me. Our great God and Father, we thank You for giving us this Word that once again illuminates the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. We pray that the Spirit would be applying these truths to our hearts, that we might be a people who go from here sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us to learn these things and to know these things for your sake and not our own. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So those four things again. First of all, a spiritual compensation in verse 50. Secondly, a definite transformation in verses 51 through 53. Thirdly, a hopeful realization in 54 through 57. And then finally, present regulations in verse 58. So, first of all, a spiritual compensation. Look again at verse 50. Paul says this, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Paul has been building an argument from the very first part of chapter 15. Because some people in the... the Corinthian church were saying that there is no such thing as the resurrection from the dead. And along with that, claiming that Jesus Christ himself did not rise from the dead. And Paul shuts that argument down right at the very beginning. He says, look, if there's no resurrection from the dead, and if Jesus Christ isn't resurrected from the dead, then our faith is in vain. uh, And there's no reason for us to even be here because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to who we are. But even still, he goes on, starting at verse uh, 35... He begins building an argument about our resurrection as well. And he says, equal to Christ's resurrection in importance is our bodily resurrection as well. And so he's building an argument. I'm not going to go back and and recount all of those things. uh, But essentially he argues and says that we will be resurrected just as Christ was resurrected from the dead. Just as he was given a body, so too will we be given a body. And part of this is our inheritance. Look at what he says. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So Paul's argument here is that we have a compensation coming to us, but in order for us to have that compensation, we cannot be in this perishable body. Since we are flesh and blood, we must go through a change. And that's what all of that argument is. He talks about sowing a seed and planting and all of these various things. And he says we are currently right now in in a seed in our perishable bodies. And unless we are planted in the ground, we cannot bear fruit uh, of the Spirit in the way that he is talking about here in terms of eternal life. And therefore, we must have our flesh and blood taken from us. Because only that which is spiritual can receive a spiritual inheritance. And since our bodies are perishable, we must become imperishable. Our inheritance, however, is conditional. Something must happen for us to inherit 
and get this compensation from God. And it's the same uh, that we understand this in our earthly bodies. In order for us to get an earthly inheritance, what must happen? Someone must die. And here, our inheritance is conditioned upon our very death. So spiritual inheritance requires our death as well, and we need to be transformed. So in verse 50, once again, we have a spiritual compensation. Secondly, in verses 51 through 53, we have a definite transformation. Look at what Paul says in verse 51. He begins by saying, Behold. Um, This is a special word that Paul uses, and it's a word that's used throughout uh, the scriptures. And any time there's a word from God and a mystery is going to be revealed, and something very important that's being said, the writers and the authors and the prophets will use this word, behold. And so what Paul is saying here isn't merely, he's not just trying to say, um, you know, this is kind of cool that I'm actually, what I'm about to say. It's not like that. He's actually saying, Listen up, because this is vital for you to understand. It's almost like, uh, like I did with the children. He's sharing a secret with us, and he wants us to lean in close, get to the very edge of our seats to hear the things that he is going to tell us, because it's a mystery. Now, to Paul and all through Paul's writings, anytime he uses this word mystery, he doesn't mean something that is still hidden. But mystery, according to Paul, is something that is revealed. And so he says, Behold, I tell you, or I reveal to you a mystery, a secret, something that that used to be hidden is now revealed to us. Why wouldn't we want to get to the edge of our seats and lean in a little bit closer? Because these are the things that the Old Testament church wasn't privy to. So what is Paul going to tell us? He's going to talk to us about what happens to our bodies and what happens to our spirits at death. Well, don't you want to know what happens? Doesn't most of the world want to know what happens to us at death? Many people just write off death and say, well, nothing happens to us. But Paul says, here's the mystery and here's what the people in the Old Testament didn't know. He's revealing to us God's will. So lean in close because he's telling us what's going to happen at our death. And this is what he says. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. All right, so you even get from, this, from his words the gravity of what he's trying to communicate to us. There's this stuff about a trumpet and a change that's going to happen, and, and even the use of the word, the twinkling of an eye, which uh, is kind of like the blinking of an eye in a split second. You want to know what happens to you at your death? Paul reveals that to you, that for all those who have faith in Jesus Christ, this is what happens. You go to sleep, and in a moment, you are with the Lord. You sleep, and for a moment, uh, in the twinkling of an eye, then you are with the Lord. We are told here that death reigns until Christ returns. There's no escaping for any of us. That unless the Lord comes back, all of us will go to the grave. Now, the Lord may decide to come back prior to that time of us having to die, but everyone will go through physical death. And Paul says that's a necessary thing for us to go through. And he says that some of us will sleep, but some of us will not. Death will reign until Christ returns. There's no escaping it. But the moment of our death, what will we hear? We will hear the trumpet sound. And he says, and this is a promise, that the dead will rise from the grave. 
And we will be changed. We will take on our new bodies. And if you happen to be alive when Christ returns, well, guess what? You will be changed as well. You won't have to see death. But the dead will take on their new bodies in that as well. Verse 53, for this imperishable body must put on imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. We're told here that this happens in an instant. So that for those who die, they do not have the experience of of, um, languishing in death for a period of time, but in a twinkling of an eye at our death. Our experience is such that as soon as we die, we experience the trumpet sound and Christ's return. Well, that's a great promise to us that our souls will not experience that separation between, uh, from our souls, uh, our spirit, and our body. In that, at our death, there will be no more suffering. There will be no more death, no more decay. Just peace, perfect peace for all of eternity. And that's the promise to us that there will be a definite transformation that our bodies that are experiencing the decay of this world will be transformed. And that's good news. Um, You know, last night we went through this amazing time travel transition where we fell back. We actually gained an hour onto our lives. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Um, We most of us slept through it. But here in this, we realize that there will be no more experience of that. There will be no more feeling of our bodies decaying and going downhill as we get older and older and older. There will simply be the peace of being with the Lord forever and ever and ever in new bodies. Bodies that actually work the way that they're supposed to work. Bodies that don't have those nagging injuries and aches. Bodies that don't feel it whenever a, a weather system is moving in. Bodies that constantly and always work for the glory of God. And that's good news to us. Paul goes on, and the third thing he teaches us in verse 54 uh, through 57, that we have a hopeful realization. A hopeful, hopeful realization. And what is that realization? The realization of victory. For Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of, of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's promised here and what we hopefully uh, will realize one day is the death of death. Because Jesus Christ swallows up death once and for all for us. Uh, That first line there, death is swallowed up in victory. You'll see that that is a a quote from Isaiah chapter uh, 25 verse verse 8. And, And Isaiah 25 is... One of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, of course. You've heard me say that over and over and over. But that one really is one of my favorite ones because way back there in Isaiah, some 600 years before Christ came, is the prophecy of Jesus coming. And it's, and it's not just a picture to us of Christ coming and dying on the cross, but it's his work of overcoming death for us. And in this, the Messiah actually calls us to a great banquet, a wonderful feast. And it says he will have the finest of wines and the richest of cheeses and the finest of meats. This great banquet he lays out for us. And he gives us a place at his table. Now, 
most of us would not have a place at the table of a king, but us, even us. The Messiah calls his people to this great banquet. And as you sit there at the banquet, he takes the head of the table. And what does he do? He has prepared this great food and all this wonderful food for us. And instead of eating the food that he prepared of the fine meats and the great wines and the cheeses and all of this stuff, he actually eats death. He swallows up death while we partake of all of the great things that he prepared for us. And one pastor said this, that our experience of it would be that we see our Messiah swallowing death for us. Meanwhile, the death that we deserve, or that's the death that we deserve. He is swallowing himself, taking all of the bad stuff on us, giving us all of the benefit of his righteousness. And our experience of that is we're overwhelmed by it. So in Isaiah chapter 9, or 25, 9, it says that we begin to cry and weep because we finally understand what our sin deserves. But the Messiah doesn't stop by simply swallowing death for us. He actually walks to us and he wipes the tears from our eyes. And it's a reminder to us of his good news for us that Jesus Christ swallows death. He removes the sting of death for us. Now, I watched Swamp People for about two years. Uh, many of you probably have stopped watching Swamp People if you ever watched it. And it was an interesting show because it showed all these people on the bayous of Louisiana trapping uh, alligators. Now, it, it was a dramatized, uh, fictional account of catching alligators. Now, they actually did trap alligators. They actually did. They would put the chicken on the string, drop the string into the water, and they would show the alligators on the line. But as soon as the people would drive up or ride up on their boats and they would check the lines to see if there was a gator on it, that's when the real drama started. And this is how you know it wasn't real. Uh, Because they would begin doing this flashing back and forth between the gator fighting and the, the people holding the line. And it was always the exact same shot of the gator twirling and the people fighting on the lines. And it was exactly the same every single time, every single time. And that was the drama. Uh, When actually what happens there is that the gator, this is what you do whenever you trap gators in reality, not that I've ever done it, but you go and the gator gets on the line, he's hooked on the line, and then what does he do? He wears himself out, thrashing at the line, expending all of his energy trying to get out so that by the time the people drive up in the boat, the gator is almost dead. Because he's expended all of his energy. That's the picture of what Christ has done for us. That Jesus Christ on the cross has taken the sting of death for us. It's like a bumblebee that stings you and dies immediately because his sting is gone. But Jesus Christ is the one that took the sting for us so that we can have life. And at our death... Death is no longer, no longer has any sting because we're given the victory, the hopeful realization in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took the wrath that we deserve and he gave us his righteousness. And Jesus is the victor and God's promise to us is who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ so that we partake in his victory. We don't deserve it. We didn't take that sting on ourselves, but Jesus Christ took it. And yes, we, we, yet we have the hopeful realization that we overcome death with Christ. Finally, we see a present regulation in verse 58. Because Christ has done these things for us, we have things that we must do. Paul says, therefore, my beloved brothers. So what's this therefore, therefore? 
Paul is building this argument on the resurrection. And he says, because we have a resurrection, we must do certain things. There are responsibilities for us. And he says, we must respond today because of what Christ has done. First of all, he says, be steadfast. This is a word uh, that actually means for us to be sedentary. Uh, It almost could mean something like be lazy, but it doesn't quite mean that. This is what he means, to be sedentary in Christ, to sit in Christ. This is your first command as a Christian, to never think you get beyond needing to be in Christ, that you are in him because he has made you in him. So be sedentary. Don't leave Christ. Don't leave the gospel. Go back to the very beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul reminds us that the first thing for us to know is what Christ has done for us. Therefore, be sedentary in Christ. Sit with him. Secondly, like that and related to it, he says, be immovable. Do not move away from Christ. Sit in Christ and don't move in Christ. Stay with him. As Christians living in the world that we live in, we are constantly pulled away from Christ. We're promised the the better life in anything other than Jesus. And Paul reminds us, just as he reminded the Corinthians back then, that we are to never leave Christ. We're to stay with him. And then thirdly, he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The responsibility for Christians who have the resurrection that is ours, as is our promise, we are to be over and above, abounding, overflowing with good works. As Christians, we're to be out in the world working for the sake of God and His glory. And Paul actually gives us the reason for that. He says the reason why we should be um, sedentary in Christ and immovable from Christ and over and above and abounding in good works is because we know that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. So here's the reason why you don't stop working and stop doing good works for Christ because... Your labor is not in vain. You will always be rewarded for that labor. Because we are secured already in Christ on the last day. We are already right now secure in Christ. There was a time uh, while I was in seminary and uh, before I came here that I worked for a company that was uh, completely bankrupt. Um, It was a small company in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, I worked uh, for them. It was a coffee company. And I didn't know this, but the owner had no money. He was uh, living paycheck to paycheck and was paying us, even out of some of his savings. He had to go to the bank over and over and over and get payment so that the people that worked for him could be paid. It sounds like working for the government in a lot of ways. But um, I worked for a company that was bankrupt. And uh, there was a time where I worked for him on uh, the side that was kind of the laborers in this coffee shop, and then I went to work in administration for him. And the first day when I went to work in his offices, he kind of opened up the books and he says, I have no money, and I don't know how I'm going to make the payments this week. And I thought, oh my goodness, I need a new job, (laughs) right? And you can imagine if that information had gotten back to the people that were working for them, what they would do. Many of them would leave. Many of them would want to find new work because their work would not be paid. Well, as Christians, we need to understand that 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 is never the case with God. There is no question that payment is going to be made. And here's how we know, because payment has already been made. You have been given the deposit, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ always repays his people. I'm going to conclude in this way. This is the final chapter in the series. This is the final thing we believe in the bodily resurrection, our bodily resurrection. We believe in the eternal life that doesn't stop when we die, but goes on and on and on. And in fact, that is our great hope as Christians, that our lives do not end, but we go into eternity. The things that we've been studying are the things that set us apart from the world. There's going to come a time in your life where you will be persecuted for certain things. And if you're a Christian, we are promised that we will be persecuted for the things that we believe. These are the things, the fact that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that he's far and above everything else in this world. The world hates that, and you will be persecuted for it. The question is, do you believe it? Today in Iraq, people are giving their lives for the things that over the last 13 weeks we've been saying we believe. Are you willing to give your life for these things as well? Because it's the truth. But even worse than persecution in this life, there's coming a judgment on the final day. All of us are going to face God. We're going to look him in the eye. And we're going to have to give an account for our life. There will be a judgment. The question is, what is your hope? Is your hope in what you've done? Is your hope in being a good enough person to make God happy? Because here in God's word, he says, you cannot do it. You cannot keep the law. Your righteousness is not enough. You must have the righteousness of my son. So the question for us is, what is your hope? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe in God the Father who loved us enough to send his son into the world so that he might live perfectly, righteously for us and give us his life to go to the cross to die the death that we deserve? To be risen, raised from the dead in new life. Do you believe that? And do you believe that the Holy Spirit now lives in his people by his great gift to us? Reminding us of that grace. Provoking us to good works for his sake. Do you believe in these things? What is your hope? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word. And we thank you for reminding us that our hope is in Jesus Christ. Pray that you would give us a sense of that hope now as we turn to take of your supper. We thank you for meeting with us, for giving us your presence. And I pray, Lord, that our focus would be on your Son and his glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.